0: Well, good morning, Village Church. It is really good to be back with you, opening the word with you this morning. Uh, I tell you, it's just been a joy for me to be able to share uh, some time, even back at Village Church, with some of the staff, uh, with all of you as you're worshiping in your different locations. It is, um, yeah, it's just a real pleasure for me to be with you. Uh, I want to talk to you about a podcast that I was listening to earlier this week. Uh, There's this guy, you may have heard of him before. His name is Dr. Henry Cloud. And uh, he was talking about our brains on stress what happens to our brains when we get stressed out when we encounter stressful circumstances and it's interesting that he was talking about this because we're in this really weird time of coronavirus he was talking to pastors as as they're trying to lead their churches and he was essentially saying your your brain on stress goes into all of these default modes that are really really unhelpful for it and in order to combat that what you kind of need to have in place is uh A sort of knee-jerk reaction, a predetermined response to stress when it hits your brain. Because what's going to happen is, when you encounter a stressful circumstance, maybe it's some kind of failure, uh, perhaps, that you run into. Uh... All of the, the your observation of everything is kind of modified by your brain on stress. So your brain actually starts telling you that multiple things are falling apart. That because one thing may have failed, then other things are probably failing as well. And and it takes you to this place where you become really anxious, really worried. Like this is what happens in your brain. And he, so he he was saying essentially when you go into a stressful place, when you enter into this crisis. Scenario: You need to have some predetermined responses all ready to go. Now, why do I talk about any of that? Why are predetermined responses helpful? Well, well, they tell us the thing that we need to do when stress hits, because our brain cannot actually figure out what to do when stress hits. We need to know what to do ahead of time. And it's interesting as we look at the story of Moses and the Exodus. You know, Moses has spent all of this time with the Lord, all of this time where the Lord has been shaping him and forming him into the kind of leader that that he desires Moses to be. And, and it's really interesting. We actually see in our story today, in the event that's recounted to us, Moses' really good predetermined response. And so as he, he, as he responds in this way, what's interesting is that he also starts training Israel into the kinds of responses that they should have when they run into crisis scenarios. So so let's look at our story this morning. So if you have your bibles this morning, you can open up to Exodus chapter 17 and we'll be starting in verse 8 and making our way through verse 16. So Exodus 17:8 says this. It says then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So uh, these Amalekites, they are showing up to fight with Israel. Now the Amalekites for what it's worth, they are descendants of a guy named Esau. So if you remember all the way back to the Genesis series in the book of Genesis, uh, you have Jacob and Esau and they have kind of this sibling rivalry, right this uh, this contention between the two of them and uh, and you know that like they end up kind of reconciling resolving but what's what's really interesting is that as we read about Amalek, Ama Amalek is actually a descendant of Esau. and it's funny how oral traditions work, especially in the ancient Near East. like uh, as, uh, as stories are passed down, very likely the case is that, that Amalek has heard of this guy named Jacob who stole their father's birthright, the, the, the guy who was responsible for their nation, their ancestor. This guy Jacob stole their ancestor's birthright. And Israel are Jacob's descendants. And so you have this kind of long-term rivalry between these people called the Amalekites and Israel. And so they, they come up against each other. And, and these Amalekites, it's very likely that they are raiders, like, they are here, they see Israel in this kind of vulnerable position, they're, they're out of the safety of Egypt, they're not protected anymore by the most powerful country in the world, and, and they're in this place where, where they can be attacked, and the Amalekites are taking advantage of the situation. Uh, so, so I say all that, and then I want to remind you of a question that was asked immediately prior to what we're seeing right now. It's a question that Israel asked, and, and it was a question when they tested God. And this is what the question is. It comes to us from Exodus seventeen seven. Uh, verse 7 says, And he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? This question that they ask is a question that's indicative of the lack of faith that exists in israel right now and the way the narrative is kind of recounting the event to us is is it's like even as they were asking the question is the lord among us or not here come these raiders to start attacking them these people with this rivalry against them so okay all of that happens i want you to imagine that you are moses that you have to now lead the people of Israel. That you have to decide how to respond to this. So so you have a multiplicity of of stressors that are coming against you right now. You have a number of problems. So number one, you are a nomadic people. Like your people don't have a home. You don't have a fortress. You don't have walls around you. You don't have any sense of safety. No mountains. You're very vulnerable at this point. Uh, Number two, the implication of you being vulnerable is that particularly your women and children, uh, they are really vulnerable, Uh, especially those who are on the outskirts of the camp. They're not towards the center of the the people, but they're more on the outskirts. They're really vulnerable. Number three, uh, your people have never fought in battle before. like They are untrained, and now all of a sudden there are people attacking you, coming against you. Number four, and this is actually like the most important one, these people who are supposed to be trusting the Lord, seriously lack faith. Like, they have been shown time and time again, especially with the testing that they just went through at these various places, they've been shown time and time again that they just don't trust the Lord. So, so remember, if you even think back to the time when they were came, coming out of Egypt, they came out equipped, ready for battle, right? But the Lord said, you know what? I'm not going to take you the way of the Philistines because I know the moment that you go into that battle, you'll be ready to turn around. So Exodus 13, 7, it says this. It says, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, least the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So, so it doesn't say that, that God couldn't bring victory against the Philistines. What it says is the issue in the Israelites is a lack of trust. A lack of faith, a lack of conviction, and so this is a really serious problem, and then you add on top of that number five that this lack of faith for the Israelites has actually led to infighting among them like they' they're fighting against each other in fact, what we just read about if you uh, think back to last week exodus seventeen one through seven is this story about the Israelites fighting with each other, like right now they are a disunified force and, and a disunified force is a vulnerable force. That's what that's what Moses is dealing with right now. Like these are all of the problems that exist, and now you add to that the fact that they are being attacked by these raiders. So, uh, so there are a lot of problems to deal with here, right? So so uh, this is kind of like, you know, I think maybe like organizational leaders, church leaders, trying to figure out how to adjust to the coronavirus, right? Like there there are uh, changing goalposts all the time as to like, how do we do this successfully? There are all of these uh, standards that you have to kind of maintain. And uh, we have to keep six feet of social distancing. But if we're going to sing together, we have to do even more distance than that. And there, there are all of these like processes that you have to, think through in order to to figure out how to do this successfully. And then like you add on top of that, the fact that we had to figure out how to do all of this overnight, right? Every leader of every organization, whether it's a church or, or just a business, like you had to figure out how to change everything for your business in almost an instant, All of this stuff remains true. So so how can a leader make these kind of changes, make these kind of instantaneous calls with all of the roadblocks, especially the kind of roadblocks that Moses has to face? Like, how can he hope to bring people to the other side of this challenge that they have? Like, Like, how can these people possibly make it to the other side of this battle? Think of all the disunity, think of all the problems that they're facing. And so... So what's really interesting is we go back to that predetermined response. Like, we go back to what Moses actually prioritizes for these people, and it's really, really interesting. So Exodus 17, verse 9, it says this. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men, and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So first of all, what I want you to notice here is that that Moses knows that the people have to fight. Like there's actually some fighting that has to be done. And so he picks this young leader, this young guy named Joshua. And Joshua comes up as a much more significant figure later on in Israel's history. He picks this guy to gather men to go and fight the Amalekites. So that's the first thing to notice. But then the second thing I want you to notice is this. Moses himself does not go to fight. He doesn't pick up a sword. In fact, because he, he realizes that this is not the most useful thing that he can do. What he does is instead he says to Joshua, Hey, I'm going to go up on that hill. And I'm going to go up on that hill and I'm going to have the staff of God in my hand. I want you to be aware of this. So why is that important? Well, well the staff is... The staff is how God displays his power to Israel. Like when, when Israel sees this staff, they know that this is the staff that has been used to work the miracles that have, has delivered Israel out of Egypt. So the implication is when Moses tells Joshua this, he's, he's essentially saying, hey Joshua, I need your army to know this. I'm going to be up on that hill and I'm going to have the staff in my hand and you need to watch for me. So verse 10 says this, Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. So so Moses, Aaron, and Hur, and this is the first time we hear of this guy named Hur. This is his first appearance, and and it's very likely that he's one of the elders of the people of Israel. So so what you have is uh, essentially three key leaders of Israel going up to this hill, going up to this place where everybody else will be able to see them. And what's really surprising about this is, like, this is a story about a battle. This is a story about about a time when Israel is going to go out and do battle with another nation that's that's coming against them. And and as you look at the words, if you think of the words as like a video camera... And that video camera, as the battle is is kind of going on, that video camera actually pans away from the battle and turns our attention to these three leaders of Israel. Like that's so interesting. Like we don't get to see like their battle formations. We don't get to understand like the kind of strategy with, with uh, the way that they fought uh, against the Amalekites. We don't actually get to understand any of that in any real detail. The details that we get are what's what's going on with the leaders. So as we watch kind of the camera pan on these leaders, it shows us how these leaders respond to crisis. It shows us kind of uh, that predetermined response that Moses has set up for them. So so there's just a principle that I want to revisit for us here. Uh, and, And that's a principle that we've been looking at all the way through this series about God's rescue of Israel. The principle is this. The struggle of the wilderness shapes you. The struggle of the wilderness shapes you. God is using Israel's experience in the wilderness to turn them into the kind of people that he desires them to be when they arrive at the land. So, so what Moses and these leaders are doing with Moses, it's kind of like they're training the people how they ought to respond. So, so what's kind of already been going on? Well, Well, we've watched how God is kind of shaping their worship. We've watched how God is shaping their memories. We've watched how God is teaching them to trust him even day by day, right? As he provides the manna on the ground every day, he's teaching them, he's training them how to be the people that they need to be. We're we're actually watching God test them in different ways, reveal things to them that they wouldn't have otherwise seen. And now tensions are really high. There's all of this stress and and, and kind of we have to answer the question you know, how are they going to do battle against other nations? Like this is a really important question for them to answer because as they go into the land, th- the land is not empty. Like there are other nations in the land and they have to figure out how to do battle with those nations. And so there is a lesson here to be taught about how do we actually do battle with other nations. And so, so Moses, is what he's doing in this moment is he's teaching them how to fight. Like as we look at these uh, leaders of Israel go up before their people, go up on the mountain, they're actually teaching their people how battles are fought. So, uh, so I want to move this now to a question about you. If, if the struggle of the wilderness is what shapes us, I want to I move this to a question about you. What is God forming you for? Like, what kind of person is he shaping you into? Who does he desire you to be? Like, what what kind of person does he want you to be in your spheres of influence? Like, we're called to Christ-likeness, right? So, so how does God want to, to make you into the kind of person through whom Christ lives his life in your spheres of influence? Like, all of this we have to, to take in mind because there, there's this idea that That you have things that are trying to stop you from becoming that person. You have your own set of roadblocks between you here and getting to be that person. You have your own set of priorities that are keeping you from becoming that person. You have your own set of distractions that are pulling your attention away from becoming the person that God desires you to be. Like, he's trying to shape you into somebody, but at the end of the day, like, there is something in you warring against that person he is trying to shape you into. So, you know, like, God may have saved you, but that does not mean that you don't have any struggle. Like, your struggle has not just disappeared now that God has saved you. You have your own set of battles to fight, and and, and you have to do this in order to become the person that you were created to be. So Village Church, we actually have like a way that we talk about that at this church. Like you all have a vision statement that says, we make disciples who go, grow, and overcome. Like we make disciples who go, grow, and overcome. And we say that word overcome. And sometimes I wonder, like, do we really know what that word overcome means? Do we know what we mean when we say that word because the implication is this, that there are battles raging inside of you between the Holy Spirit and your broken desires. Like There are battles raging inside of you between you living for yourself and you living absolutely surrendered to the will of God. There are battles inside of you that you might become more like Jesus. There are battles raging inside of you that you might actually live for God's purpose instead of live for building your own kingdom. So so part of your formation, like part of even why this church says it exists, part of why uh, the vision of this church is to help you overcome all of those things that are standing against you so that you might become the person that God designed you to be. Like to actually see God's power go to work, kind of like a wrecking ball, to break down that old person that you were so that Christ can live his life through you. We want to see Village Church make disciples who go, grow, and overcome. So then, so then a further question for us is, how do the people of God, actually become a kind of people who overcome? Like, how do the people of God move past their enemies, move past their obstacles, move past the things that are even inside of themselves so that they can become a people who actually uh, find victory with the Lord? Like, how do, how do we do this as God's people on this side of Jesus' coming and his life and his death and his resurrection? I think we see something about this as the passage continues on. So, verse 11. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. So, uh, so again, we don't see any details about battle formation, no explanation of their armaments, no, no uh, scene of struggle on the field. What we get instead is Moses lifting his staff up and raising his staff. And every time he lifts the staff up in the air, uh, Israel starts gaining ground in the battle, but then, but then, as the staff falls down, then they they start losing ground in the battle. So what? So what's going on here? The amazing thing is that that Moses, like inside of him, this faith reflex has been built. Like he knows the first thing that he has to do is to go up and put God's power in front of the people. Like he's starting to learn. If we are in trouble, we need the Lord to work. So so, why, why the lifting up and lowering? Why uh, go up on the hill? Why do this out in front of everybody? So, so remember the question, the question that they were asking, is the Lord among us or not? As they fight in the urgency of this situation, that question is resounding in their minds. And, and Moses, when he goes up to the hill, when these leaders go up to the hill, what Moses is doing is he is answering the question for his people. Is the Lord among us or not? Well, behold his power. Behold the thing that you see as displaying God's power to you. I tell you certainly that the Lord is among you. So he gets up on a high hill and he holds this staff up, this symbol of God's power before them, so that every person who is fighting can visibly see That God's power is at work. He answers their question with clarity. The Lord is powerful and he will be at work through you. So when Moses holds up the staff, essentially what he's saying is this. Stay focused on God's power and overcome. Stay focused on God's power and overcome. Israel, do you want to win this battle? Do you want to see the Lord at work? Then what you need to do is you need to stay focused on God's power and overcome. So now I want you to like imagine that you're a soldier out on the battlefield. And uh, you, you may have even been been one of the ones who asked the question, is the Lord among us or not? And now you've been called. Joshua picks you out and he says, hey, you're going to go fight this battle with us. And, and, and you know we're divided. We're untrained. We're a nomadic people. We're not prepared to do this. And you, all of these anxieties are moving in your head. And, and then you remember uh, at the beginning, at the beginning of the battle, Joshua told you, hey, but you need to look up to the hill. Because, because Moses is going to be up there on that hill and he's going to have the staff of God in his hand. And so you know what you do, like... You actually look up on the hill. So you look, and there is Moses with his staff raised up high. It's the same staff that was turned into a snake. It's the same staff that was used to make a mockery of Egypt's gods. It's the same staff that, uh, that split the waters and dried up the ground. It's the same staff that uh, used, uh, Moses used it to answer each and every one of your complaints as you were wandering through the desert. And so now every time God used that staff to work miracles on your behalf to show his power in a mighty way. So then you look at that staff and it reminds you of all of these things that it does and it inspires inside of you this trust in God. Like faith actually starts to rise up within you and then you turn to face your opponent and you swing your sword at them and they hold a shield against you. And that shield smashes to pieces as you swing that sword. Something you could have never expected. And you look next to you. You look along the lines that are advancing. And you actually see Israel, like your people, gaining ground on these people who have come to attack you. And what you notice is that every time that that staff is lifted up in the air, you're remembering God's power. You trust God to do His work. And He actually starts working through you to push the enemy back. So so you kind of put two and two together. Like you ask the question, "Is God among us?" Well, yeah, He's fighting through us. As we observe His power as His power is lifted up before us, He fights through us. And so you actually start learning something, even in the midst of battle. you actually start getting trained on that knee-jerk response. You learn that you need to stay focused on God's power. and as you stay focused on God's power, you overcome. Exodus 17:12. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side, so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Moses, Moses, at this point, he is very old; he's in his eighties, and uh, doesn't have the strength that he like. He probably wouldn't be that good with a sword, honestly, if you gave him a sword to go out and fight the battle. But he knows something. He knows something. He says, if I can keep these people focused on God's power, we will overcome. And so, so he's trying to hold the staff up, but he's not able to keep the staff held up. And so these leaders with Moses, they see the importance of the staff staying lifted high. And so what they do is they, they kind of intuitively know, like, we have to help Moses do this. So they come alongside him. And they know that, that if we are actually going to win, then our people have to trust God. Our people have to know that God is going to work. They have to have faith. And so they come alongside him because they know, if we can keep these people focused on God's power, we will overcome. So so as Moses, he keeps the symbol of God's power lifted up in front of them. And Aaron and her, they come up to support him and they actually enable him to continue keeping God's power in front of the people. So as as I've heard people tell this story, I'm kind of I've gotten used to hearing, you know what? Like what you need to really do is you need to get some some good teammates around you, kind of like Aaron and her. You need to get some people around you to come and support you and and lift you up. And I, I hear that, and like that's really valuable advice. It's very wise. But Aaron and Hers value in this story is so much greater than just being there to support Moses. Like, the thing that they know they are here to do, they recognize in the moment what is most important. Like, they already know these people lack faith. They recognize that the only thing that will actually accomplish the urgent task in front of them It's not advice to Moses on another strategy that he needs to have. It's not anxiety when they see the the lines of Amalek start to advance. Uh, What they do is they know that they have to keep God's power in front of the people. So they do whatever they can to support Moses in that effort. They step up to make sure that Moses can keep God's power in front of the people. That They can stay focused on God's power and actually win the battle. So verse 13. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. So, so because Aaron and Hur, they recognize the importance of the task at hand all day, Moses is able to then keep the staff lift, lifted up high in the air in front of the people. And because of this, God actually like works through the people, through the army to achieve victory. So I want you to notice something. I want you to notice that this is actually drastically different than every other time that God has worked in the book of Exodus. Because because before it was, hey Israel, I need you to watch something that I'm going to do. I need you to watch a wonder that I'm going to work. I need you to watch as I split the waters of the Red Sea. But now, now it's actually like Israel. You're going to go fight. You're going to do your part. But as you do it, you need to stay focused on me. So God actually, God worked through very natural means. And said, in fact, what it tells us is that Joshua overwhelmed Amalek with the sword. Like It was, it, it, it was not in an obviously supernatural way that, that God did something to the Amalekites. No, like they won by very natural means, but it was because they were focused on the Lord and God actually was at work through them to accomplish this victory. The victory that they won was completely dependent on their dependence on God. So, verse 14. The Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book. And recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. So, uh, so uh, you know, like, here's a little trivia question. What was the first scripture that Moses ever wrote? You might be inclined to think, like it's, well, it's the first book in the Bible. It's Genesis. Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, uh, God created the heavens and the earth, right? But that's, that's not what we get. Like Actually, the very first thing that Moses wrote down, the very first time we see Moses writing, is this story. Moses actually writes this story down for us. The, the first thing, and the first thing that like you write, the first thing, it it's kind of becomes this guiding understanding for, for how you see everything else. And so the first thing that, that Moses is writing about is this time when he kept God's power in front of Israel and they watched God work through them to achieve a victory. Verse 15 and 16. And Moses built an altar... And called the name of it, the Lord is my banner, saying a, hand upon, saying a hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So in battle, in battle, the banner is a rallying point. It's a source of morale. It, as the banner stays lifted high uh, for the rest of the people fighting, it is a sign that there is still hope of victory in the midst of this battle. So, so the movie in the movie, the Patriot uh, with Mel Gibson, uh, you, there's this uh, there's this battle where the flag actually falls. Like the American flag, it falls down. And Mel Gibson, he takes it upon himself. He goes and he lifts the flag up because he knows that the moment the people see the flag fall down, they will start to falter. They will start to retreat because they think the battle is being lost. So he goes and lifts the flag up to make sure that everybody knows, no, there is still hope in this battle. We can still take ground in this battle. And you know what? In warfare, the, the presence of the banner, the presence of the flag, it provided hope for Victory. So, how much more then would this be true for the Israelites when Moses was holding before them like a flag, like a banner, the thing that represented God's power to them? And, and on top of that, the fact that God Himself was the one exercising His power through them. So, so here Joshua and here uh, the future leaders of Israel they get taught a lesson they actually get taught this uh, knee-jerk response, this predetermined response that they need to have. and, And that lesson is this. Stay focused on God's power and overcome. As they get ready to go and take the land, as they get ready to go and do war with all of the people who inhabit the land, they remember, stay focused on God's power and overcome. So what? Number one, Do you want to see real and lasting victory in your life? If so, then what you need to do is decide to adjust your focus. You need to decide to adjust your focus. So so for these people, the symbol of God's power was the staff. The place that they need to focus was Moses' staff. But for us... God's power is evident to us no place more clearly than in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So 1 Corinthians 1.18 says this, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved. It is the power of God. You know what, Jesus, he came with power and authority. He healed, he casted out demons, he provided food for people in miraculous ways, he he taught with clarity, he did all of these amazing things, and then on top of that, he gave up his life for the brutality of the cross. So that he might utterly destroy the power of brokenness on our lives, the power of sin on our lives. So that he might enable us to stand before God forgiven and righteous. That he might actually free us from the power of sin on our lives, from the power of Satan on our lives. That he might actually make it possible for us to receive the gift of eternal life. That he might enable us to receive the Holy Spirit. All of these things he did. And then on top of that... He he rose from the grave. like He defeated death. Church, there is power in the name of Jesus. And that is not just a nice song lyric that we sing. It is something true. It is truth that breathes life into dead souls. So, are you tired of losing your battle with your broken passions? Are you tired of seeing apathy rue the day in your life are you tired of falling into the same old patterns that you fall into again and again are you tired of living purposeless maybe let me ask these questions a different way i want to ask these questions in terms of terms of of vision so like do you actually want people to see and meet jesus when they see and meet you like, Do you want to be the kind of person that, that when people come and sit at your table, they, they taste something of what it is to sit with Christ? Like, Do you want rivers of living water to be flowing from you wherever you go? Do you want to overcome the old you so that Jesus can actually live through you? I want to ask of you, I want to implore you, I want to beg of you, that you would decide to have nothing besides Jesus that you would decide to have only Jesus. And then if you have a gift of food or if you have a gift of family or if you have a gift of relaxation or enjoyment, that it it would be because Jesus gave it and that you would recognize it for that. And that if you lack any of that, you would recognize that you still have the, the only thing that you need, which is Jesus. I want to implore you to to develop habits that set Jesus in front of your face, that make your heart grateful for his power, that compel you to go deeper with him. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says it like this. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and the author. And finisher of our faith. So I wonder how many of us fail. To to actually see lasting and change in our lives because we've kind of told ourselves, oh, we're gonna pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We're gonna just try to do better, we're gonna try harder, we're gonna not sin here, we're gonna do good things here. When at the same time, like there is a whole nother section of your life where there are some kind of like not really sinful things happening, but they're things that are drawing your attention away from Jesus. Like so like Netflix. It's not a sinful thing. Uh, social media is not a sinful thing. Hulu is not a sinful thing. But if you're telling yourself, like, I don't have time to focus my attention on Jesus, but you can point to 15 hours of your week that are given to Netflix or social media or those sorts of things, and the reality is, is like, there's a there's a host of time in your schedule that's pulling your attention away from Jesus. And if what you need to overcome, like, if you actually have the vision of Christ living his life through you. If what you need to do to be able to overcome is actually, like, focus all of your attention on Him, then why not just decide to have nothing besides Jesus? So, 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 Village Church, I would implore you, decide to have nothing but Jesus. And then when you do this, I want you to talk to a pastor. I want you to talk to a CG leader. I want you to talk to a mentor or even just a, a trusted brother or sister in Christ and say, You know what? I want to go deeper with Jesus can you help me and that brings me to number 2 you need people who fight to keep Jesus in front of you you need people who fight to keep Jesus in front of you so so Aaron and her they're in the, the midst of this story they they see the importance of keeping God's power in front of the people and you know what we need to help each other see Jesus like we need people around us who are going to help us see Jesus. So like for me personally, like one of the best moves that I've made in this season, there's a whole lot of crazy with the coronavirus, like trying to figure out how to lead. It's, there, there are a number of challenges and, you know, at, at different times you can be prone to anxiety or uh, just a lot of activity or uncertainty. And so, so in the midst of this season, like one of the best things that's happened is I've got a leadership coach. And this leadership coach is, is working with me and what he's doing is in the midst of all of this, He's fixing my eyes on Jesus. Like, he's shaping my affection for Jesus. He's helping me to actually ask questions about, like, okay, where is Jesus at in the midst of this? So, Village Church, I just want to ask you a question. Like, do you, do you understand what an amazing gift you have been given as a church? So, you have a staff who's been working throughout this really weird time, working really hard throughout this really weird time so that they can keep your eyes fixed on Jesus like they've been working hard life has slowed down uh, maybe in other parts but like life, life here has not slowed down and, and on top of that like there are a number of other things competing for your attention and in the midst of all of that uh, you have people leading who are trying to keep you fixed on Jesus and, and the amazing thing like Tammy and the VBS staff and volunteers this week they've been working to pull off an amazing online VBS to keep kids' eyes fixed on Jesus like Mike and Mel Boyle are here serving, uh, and Mike is an interim pastor here at Village Church, like blessing you in this COVID season while Michael and Brianne are away. And they are working, they're striving to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. You have CG leaders who are striving to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. You have elders who are striving to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Uh, you have worship leaders who are striving to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. All of these people, they're, they're intent on helping you see jesus and honestly like if i could tell you your pastor michael's heart for you why 19 years he has labored week in and week out to bring the word of god to you why he has given his all. Why he, has, why he has poured his heart and his soul into this ministry. He, it's because he knows the best thing that he can do for you is put Jesus in front of you. is to let you see Jesus. Why do all of these people do it? Why do they do it? It's because you need people who will keep Jesus in front of you. The implication of this is that the best service you can actually provide to a brother and sister in Christ is to put Jesus in front of them. Like, is through your words and actions to show them Jesus, that they might, uh, when they interact with you, fix their eyes on Jesus. That they might labor, that you might labor to draw the attention of your brothers and sisters to Christ. So you know what? There are a lot of things right now that we could spend our time and our energy making a big deal about. But I wonder like, if we have a vision for, for what Village Church might look like if a bunch of people who resembled Christ existed here. Because all the time we were laboring to keep Jesus in front of each other. I want to transition to communion for us. You know what, communion is a perfect opportunity for us collectively to fix our eyes on Jesus. Like at the cross of Jesus, every enemy that stood against us has been vanquished. Like we are we are broken sinners. We are broken down by sin. We have chosen a path that is in rebellion against God. But Jesus went to the cross for our sakes that he might bear the full weight of the wrath of God. He allowed his body to be broken and his blood to be shed so that we could be forgiven. So what we're going to do in this time is we're actually going to fix our eyes on Jesus together. So if you're at one of our worship sites, uh, you have a communion cup in front of you that looks kind of like this. If you're worshiping with us at home, and uh, I, w- I just encourage you to pause the video and, and find a cracker and, and some juice so that you can partake with us. If you have one of these communion cups, um, on there are kind of two layers to, to peel back for these cups here. The, the top layer is uh, the wafer. And uh, under that is the layer for the juice. So as we partake together, you'll peel those off. Um, The the wafer, the the bread, it represents for us Jesus' broken body. And and the juice represents for us Jesus' shed blood, what he endured for our sakes. So Village Church, this is what I'm going to do. I'm actually going to take a moment of silence. I want you to reflect on how God's power has been revealed to you through Jesus, the things that he has set you free from, that Jesus might become the fixation of your heart in this moment. So would you be silent with me?